Planting is on the horizon, uh, and nobody plants a fruit tree without wanting that tree to bear much fruit. You you want it to be successful and prosperous and thriving. I mean, after all the work you put into it, after all the husbandry to cultivate the tree, who's satisfied with a little fruit? Who wants just like a few apples or pears or whatever is off of it? You want a lot of fruit. You want a big crop. You want a good harvest. You ever gone apple picking? I mean, there's something wrong with the tree that barely has any fruit on it or barely is producing any fruit. That's something not normal, not expected. And in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus Christ, he actually cursed a fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit. It grieved him, it upset him. And that was a picture of God's judgment on a nation that wasn't bringing any fruit for God wasn't bearing any fruit for God. He said, you know what? Let no fruit grow henceforth even forever. And in John 15, right there, verse 1, Jesus Christ, in that upper room, he's he's telling his disciples that his father wants to get a lot of fruit out of them. He says, "I I want you guys to bear much fruit. Look at John 15, 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. In fact, if you look at verse 8 especially, he says, hey, bearing much fruit is what brings your heavenly Father glory. It's what gives him some exaltation. It's what brings him some majesty. I mean, you're not going to give much credit to the guy whose tree, whose tree doesn't bear much fruit. You say, look what I worked on. It's got one apple on it. All right. But if a guy's working on a tree and it brings forth this bountiful harvest, well, wow, that guy gets some attention, gets some majesty, gets some glory. So I want to ask you something today. Do you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Amen. All right, that's like three of you, but I'll work on it. Uh, well, let me ask this question. If you consider yourself a disciple, would you like to bear much fruit for his glory? I mean, wouldn't you like to be that planting of the Lord that people would look at you and say, wow, look what this guy, look what this lady is bringing forth in their lives. Who do you know? Who worked this out in your life? Oh, let me just tell you about my Jesus, right? Just give him some glory. Anybody like that? Well, I'd like to talk today about how to bear much fruit. How to bear much fruit, because this chapter actually gives Christ's disciples the key to bearing much fruit. So let's see if we can find it as we look at this together. Lord, we love you today. We thank you today. We pray your help today, Lord. If someone is not saved today, Lord, May today be the day they call upon you as Savior, and may we just, that know you, draw closer to you, Father, that you might be able to cultivate some much fruit out of each of us. In Jesus' name and for his glory, we ask it, Father. 
Amen. All right, stay right there. I'll give you the first prerequisite if you want to bear much fruit. Again, if you don't want to be fruitful, I'll be done soon and you can go about your day. But if there's something in you that just says, wow, I'd like to bring my Savior some glory. I'd like to give him some credit. He's put such a smile on my face. Let me try to do a little something to put a smile on his face. Because, you know, if you're that like gardener, that husbandman, and you're walking out in your fields, I'm sure there's a little bit of a beam that comes across a man's face when he looks at at what he's worked and toiled on, bringing forth fruit. And I mean, you'd like the Savior to wander these aisles and look in on your life this week and just look down at your life and see you being kind, being merciful, being more like Jesus Christ. And he could just step back and say, wow, you know, look what I wrought in that person's life. Look what I did in that person's life. If there's nobody like that, if you don't want to be that person, then just, just endure until the end and you'll be saved. But if you have a heart to want to please your father, and maybe want to put a smile on his face and have him say, wow, look at my son over there, look at my daughter over there, then I hope you could pay attention to this. I hope you might just wake up and consider what these keys are to bearing much fruit. Because they're very simple, and a lot of you know them already, but he reminds his disciples very well in this chapter. Look at verse, uh, verse four. First thing I want to say is this. If you want to bear much fruit, you've got to first abide in Christ. You've got to abide in Christ. That's the first step. He said, what's abide mean? Abide means to, to live in, to, to dwell in, to reside in, to continue permanently in. Like you abide in your house, you live in your house, you're supposed to abide in Christ. What does that mean? Let's look at verse four, right? Verse four, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. You know what he's saying there, folks? He's saying it's impossible for the branch to bear fruit if it's not a part of the vine. That's not deep horticultural study, okay? It's impossible to break a branch off the vine and see it bear fruit if it's not abiding or a part of the vine. That tells me that it's impossible for a disciple to bear fruit if he's not in Christ, if he's not a part of the vine. Does that make sense? Amen? Help me out, all right? Hey, if you want to bear much fruit, you know what you first have to be? You first have to be in Christ. You got to be a part of the body. You got to be connected to the true vine that he's talking about there. Now listen, for all my Bible scholars in the room, there is a future application to abiding in him that you read about in 1 John for the tribulation saint. That's not my focus today because we're not in the tribulation, nor are we going through the tribulation, all right? Okay, that woke you up a little bit. You could stop buying your powdered food, all right? You could tell your patriot supply off, all right? But um, we want to deal with the present application. We want to deal with the application of abiding in Christ for the church age saint, for where you live right here. And when he says, abide in me, it makes me want to ask you, are you alive in Christ today? Because let me ask you, you seem a little dead. You seem a little dead. So just remind me that you're alive in Christ because you seem a little dead to me. So help me out. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Are you saved? Let me warn you. Are you saved? That's the same thing. That's the same thing. Okay. That's good. You're there. You're just playing coy. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know. I got to play cheerleader a little bit. All right. It's been a long time. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me just put it on you in a nice way. Every human being in this room is either in Adam 
or in Christ. There is no middle ground. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 21 says, For since by man came death, going back to Adam, right, bringing death into the world, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, right? So Adam brought death into the world, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That word all means all. It means everybody. So everybody in this room, if I could have the mind of God, if I could see what God sees, he would parse you into one of two camps. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And there is no in-between. There's no, well, I'm thinking about it. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. So I want to challenge you. Where are you today? If you're in Adam, you are headed for eternal death in hell. Because as in Adam, all die, right? You will die. You will perish. That's just what the Bible says. You're going the wrong way if you're in Adam. And he says, if you're in Christ, you're headed for eternal life in heaven. You will live. Because in Christ, all shall be made alive. But in Adam, all die. Where are you? You know, when you read your Bible, there's two books in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, you don't have to flip there. In the Old Testament, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And God lays out all the progeny of Adam, all the people that came out of Adam's loins, all of his kids and his grandkids and his grandkids. You know what it says about every single person in that list, but one guy named Enoch, who's an exception. You know what it says about everybody? They all died. They all died. You know why? Because as in Adam, all die. And everybody's looking at a hole in the ground. Because you know why? As in Adam, all die. You can't beat that thing with a stick. 10 out of 10 people die. It's the ultimate statistic. You can't avoid it. It's appointed unto men once to die. Why? Because you're in Adam. And in Adam, all die. But then it says, in Christ, all shall be made alive. There's another book in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Adam's got a book with his progeny, and Jesus Christ has a book with his progeny. You know what it says about everybody in Jesus Christ's book? They all live. This one begat that one. This one begat that one. This, you know what that is? That's life. That's life. You know what happens when you're in Jesus Christ? You live. You know what happens when you're in Adam? You die. Where are you? You making sense? The question is, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Are you lost in Adam or are you saved in Christ? Think about it. I know it's sobering, but think about it. I think of it this way. In God's world, right, if God's world were a building, God's building, God's world, there are only two elevators. One going down, called Adam, and one going up, called Christ. And everybody in this room, and yes, that means you if I'm saying that. I'm talking to everybody, including myself. Everybody in this room is in one of those two elevators. They're in Adam going down, or they're in Christ going up. Elevators don't go any other direction. No elevators, no horizontal elevators, no elevators that just hover on the 10th floor. No, the elevator goes down or the elevator goes up. Which way are you going? Which direction are you going? 
The bad news. Here's the bad news. You want the bad news? Because you look like you're ready for bad news. You want the bad news? <laughs> to get an Adam, you have to do nothing. To get an Adam, you simply had to be born. So, do you have a birthday? You got a birthday? Johnny, you got a birthday? Right? Everybody's got a birthday. You wouldn't be here. It's been shown in laboratory tests that if you don't have a birthday, your children won't have one either. Think about that, okay? So everybody's got a birthday. That means everybody's born in Adam. That's a problem. That's bad news. That means everybody's born condemned. Everybody's born with that sin nature. Everybody's born going in the wrong direction. Just ask, you know, our future mommies will discover it very soon when that little beautiful thing is in the bassinet and gets out of the bassinet and starts learning the word no and you never taught them that word. How'd you learn no? How'd you learn to make a mess? How'd you learn to be so defiant? There's no lessons. Nobody. Okay, in front of the iPad today, honey, we're going to do some lessons on defiance and rebellion. Nope, no. They just naturally start coming out of that little beautiful blue or pink thing that you got in that bassinet. You know, it just, it just happens. Why? Because they're born with a sin nature inherited from Adam. And as in Adam, all die because the wages of sin is death. So to get in Adam, do nothing. Just stay where you are today because you've already in Adam by birth. That's bad news. That means we're stuck, caught, condemned by nature, children of wrath, the Bible says. Conceived in iniquity, David said. But the good news is, to get in Adam, you must be born again. And you can be born again. That's why we sing our silly song. We sing our birthday song. And at the end we say, how many have you? Because if you're born once, you're still in Adam. But if you're born twice, you just got into Christ. So how many birthdays do you have? How many do you have? Go to Galatians chapter 3. Go to Galatians chapter 3. <clears throat> the question then is, how do you get out of Adam and get into Christ? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Galatians 3.26 says this. Galatians 3.26 says, <clears throat> For you're all the children of God. Is that where the verse stops? No. You say, we're all God's children. Not exactly. We're all God's creations. Amen. We're not all God's children. Amen. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. <laughs> You put your faith in Christ Jesus and you get out of Adam and get put into Christ. You put your faith in that Savior who died on that cross 2,000 years ago and took that whipping and that bleeding and that hell for you. You put your faith in what he did on that cross and not your beads and not your good works and not your religion and not your efforts and not your know-how and not what you think, but what God says, you do that, God takes you out of Adam and puts you in Christ. I did that. Did you do that? Right? You say, that sounds a little strong. Yeah, it's a little strong. It's got to shake you out of your religious uh, lethargy because we're so indoctrinated by religion, we think it's just about what box we check on a census or what building we walk in on a Sunday. God says, I don't care about any of that stuff. Where's your faith today? Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You're a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus. All you guys with your Robin Hoods on the side that you're checking as you day trade, you know what it's like to invest and put faith in something. Like you put your faith in some penny stock that you think is going to pay off. Hey, put your faith in the Savior. That will pay off. 
You know what it's like to invest in something. Oh, it's such, faith is such a... No, it's not. It's not a foreign thing. You walk into your room, you flick a light switch on, you exercise faith every day. Just trusting that the electricity won't blow your house up and just put the lights on. You, have, you exercise faith every day. You watch the analytics, you watch the stocks, you diversify your portfolio, and you invest in the things that you think will pay off. Hey, you know what it means to invest in something. So the way you put your money in a stock, put your faith in the Savior. Put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross to wash away your sins. That's how you get out of Adam and into Christ. Look what it says in verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized, so it could be anybody, right? As many of you, as many as, the Bible says, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, that's not water, that's you getting immersed into Christ, being put into that vine, being made a part of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you put on Christ, God puts you in Christ. You become saved. When you put on Christ, you get put in the saved category. You get put in, in Christ. Does that make sense? Amen? Listen, if the plane is going down and you put on the parachute, guess what? You get put in the saved category. Right? You automatically get put in the saved categories. This plane is going down. If I put on this parachute, I'll be saved. Okay, I, I put on the parachute. Now I just got moved from the lost category to the saved category because I got the one that saves me. I got the one that'll save me. Listen, if you put on Jesus Christ like a parachute to save you from certain death, God puts you in the saved category. God puts you in Christ. You just went from perishing to being saved. Why? Because you put on Christ. And as many of you as have put on Christ, you're baptized into Christ. He puts you into Christ. Why? Because you put him on. You trusted him to deliver you from sure death. But you have to personally make a decision to get out of Adam and get in Christ. You gotta per Everybody in this room is in one of those two elevators. You have to personally make that decision. You have to stop thinking your first birth is enough and believe the gospel for the second birth. I don't care about religion. I don't care, I don't care about where you go to church. I don't care if you never walk in this room again. I want you to put your faith in Jesus Christ so you get out of Adam and get into Christ. And what you do after that is between you and God. But I want to make sure you're saved and you understand that you're not okay just because you were born and you're a nice fella. You're not okay. If you're an Adam, you're going down. You have to get into Christ so you go up, right? you got to make that decision. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever been on an elevator going in the wrong direction? Has that ever happened to you? Like, you know, we've been in these big hospitals in the city and you're in this building. You know, oh, this is going down. i got to get off this one. Right? When you realize you're in the elevator going in the wrong direction, what do you do? You get off as soon as you can and you want to get in the elevator going in the right direction. Has it ever occurred to you that your first birth is taking you down? Has that ever like rung a bell? Has it ever, have you ever, could you ponder the truths of God for a second? He's saying, you're not okay. The first birth is not enough. It's appointed unto men once to die. If, oh God, if the Lord would just let you realize that, you know what the thing would be? Huh, my first birth isn't going to get me to heaven. I need to go get me a second birth. I need to get off this elevator and go get on the right elevator. I better get out of Adam and get in Christ. That's what God wants for you, man. 
The conversion that happens when you get off that elevator and get in the right elevator, when you get out of Adam and get into Christ, that conversion's not automatic. It doesn't happen after you're here for four weeks. It doesn't happen after just osmosis. It doesn't happen by itself. And it's not predetermined. God didn't decide in the past who's going to get off each elevator. It's up to you. You need to believe in this little space called time. God's given you a chance to get off that elevator and get on the right elevator. And when your time is up, if you're still in the wrong elevator, you're going down. But in this little window of time, this 50, 60, 75, 10, I don't know how many years you have, but God, Bible says, has given every man a space and a portion of time. And in this time called time, you need to believe the gospel so you can get out of Adam and get into Christ. I hope you have. I implore you to. Listen, on April 6, 1998, I called on Jesus Christ to save my soul on the floor of my bedroom. And God took me out of Adam and put me in Christ. And my life has never been the same. Never been the same. Has your life been the same since you've been saved? Not mine. What, what did happen? When I called on a Savior who loved me enough to die for me. When I called on a Savior, I said, Lord, I'm going to believe what you said. He took me out of Adam and put me in Christ. I had to do that in time. I know when it happened. Do you know when it happened? He said, well, I think so. I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. That's impossible because you were born in Adam. At some point, you had to go from Adam to Christ. When did it happen? Do you know when it happened? He said, I can't remember. Maybe you need to make it sure today. Maybe you need to make it sure because you don't want to be on the wrong elevator because it's going down. You want to make sure you get in the right elevator and you go up. And any, can I just stick this in? Don't use this, Chris. But I mean, anybody that says you were in Christ in eternity past is insane. Can I just throw that out there for any of our Reformed brethren watching? You're nuts. You're absolutely nuts. Because that means you were in Christ before you existed, safe and secure. And then somehow you got out of Christ which is impossible uh, because he says he'll never cast anybody out. And then somehow you had to get back into Christ when time happened. But you were in Christ in eternity past because God spun his giant lotto machine and just picked your number. So he put you in Christ in eternity past. Somehow you were born and you got out of Christ and became lost. And then somehow God put you back in Christ. That is bananas. Okay, B-A-N-A-S, bananas. What? Bananas. That's bananas. I don't care how pious they make it sound. We're sovereign and reformed and the majesty of God. And they put all these fancy words on it. That is bananas. Bananas. Unbiblical bananas, right? You got to get in Christ in time. You got to get in Christ in time. Look at Ephesians 1. Look at the next book over. Ephesians 1. I just want to stick this in here. Ephesians 1. Right? Ephesians 1. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> The Bible says, blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us before the foundation of the world. That's not what it says. It didn't say it chose you before the foundation of the world. It said he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. <laughs> you see, what did God choose before the foundation of the world? Not you. You didn't exist. He chose Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. And he said, anybody that gets in Christ will be saved. That was the election that God made before the foundation of the world. And if you're in the right elevator, you're going up. And if you're in the wrong elevator, you're going down. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. 
Don't know. Second Corinthians 5.17. Look at this. <clears throat> All that being said, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Let me read that again. If any man be in the right religion, nope. If any man be in the right state of mind, nope. If any man be in a state of grace when he dies, nope. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Are you in Christ? Amen. Are you in Christ? Come on, at least let God know that you're in Christ because you might forget. You know, if you're in Christ, you are a new creature that could bring forth fruit to God when you couldn't before because there's something different about you now, man. You know what it says there? The first, see that verse 17? Read, read the first four words with me. Out loud. Therefore, if any man. Amen. Somebody go tell somebody that. If any man. Not an elect man. Not a predetermined man. Not a special kind of man. Not a religious man. If any man be in Christ. Anybody could get into Christ and get out of Adam. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that a blessing? Anybody today. You know who's in that? Any man. You know that any man includes the man from 1 Corinthians 5 who is fornicating with his stepmom? That man is included in that any man. Because he's saying, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You might do some stupid things, but your soul is in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is, present tense, a new creature. Didn't say about your religion, your good works, your effort, you're holding on to Jesus as he's holding on to me and all that stuff. No. Are you in Christ? Are you in Adam? It's that stinking simple. I ask you today, are you in Christ? Are you in Adam? Because verse 18 says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you know what that verse says? You are reconciled. You remember your lessons from the third grade when you put an ED at the end of a word? It's the past tense. That means it's done. That means it's complete. That means it's finished. That means the enmity between you and God is now settled and over because God took you out of Adam where all of his enmity is directed and put you in Christ where all the blessings in eternal life comes from. So if you're in Christ, you're reconciled. You and God are on good terms. Don't abuse them, but you are a son because you're in Christ. Oh, if you could get a hold of that, that'd change your world where you are. That's your standing today in Christ. Go to John chapter 15. <clears throat> I'm hurrying here. John 15, look at verse 6. Look at John 15, 6. <clears throat> John 15, verse 6. Look what Jesus says here. Now watch this. With all that in mind, watch this. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. See that? If you stay in the elevator that's going down, you're going to burn. You're going to hell. So can I ask you the first question God asked man after he fell? You know what the first question God asked was? Where art thou? Where are you? Are you in Christ? Or are you still in Adam? You'll never bear fruit for God. God doesn't want any fruit from you 
until you're part of the right tree, until you're part of the right vine, until you're part of and in Christ. But can I give you the second part? How many people know for sure they're in Christ? Can you give me an amen? amen. Okay, okay, good. So let me give you, because say like, oh, I knew that, Pat, and I know you're so smart. So let me give you the second part, which is the part we may not want to hear, and I'll, I'll hurry through it here. Look at John 15, 4. Step two, or the second part of this key, that if you want to bear much fruit for God, and can I just get one more amen if that's you today? You want to bear fruit for God? Okay, that's good. We're getting there. We're getting there. It's slow going, but we're getting there. When you scream in seven or eight hours, when you're flipping out over a call that's offside's call or a flag on the play, don't even come to me and say, I just don't like saying amen in church. All right, don't say you can't be loud in a crowd because when somebody, you know, when, when Purdy or Mahomes run something in, you guys are going to flip out and scream and jump up and down and pound the hands of somebody next to you. So you could give Jesus a little bit of shout and a little bit of love. Amen. Hey, and if you want to bear much fruit for God, here's the second thing. You got to have Christ abide in you. You got to abide in Christ and Christ has to abide in you. That's the second step. And some of you are just like, you know, that's, is that like the same thing? No, nope, not the same thing. See John 15, four, he says, abide in me and I in you. See John 15, five, the middle of the verse. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same, that guy, bringeth forth much fruit, for without me he can do nothing. You see, if you want to bear much fruit for God, you got to be more than just saved. Sorry, guys. I want you to get saved, and that's, the, that's where life starts, but that's not what it's all about. We want to get everybody saved. We hand out gospel tracts. We put stuff on doors because we want people to get saved. But if you are saved, that's not where you stop. That's where you start, <laughs> right? If you want to bring forth fruit for God now and bring him some glory and not just get fire insurance for your wretched soul, well, guess what? There's a little bit something else to do. You've got to abide in Christ and he's got to abide in you. So if you want to bear much fruit for God, you've got to be not just saved, you've got to be sanctified. You've got to be set apart. You've got to be something special set apart for God. You see that phrase, abide in me? He uses that. That's about you in Christ. That's about salvation. That's about what God did for you by faith, and that's a gift. Salvation is a gift. God takes you out of Adam and puts you in Christ. That's a gift. It's not by works. God does it all because of what Jesus finished on the cross. That's you in Christ. That saves your soul. That writes your name in the book of life. That delivers you from the lowest hell. That puts your sins as far as the east is from the west. When you get put in Christ. But look what he says next. He says, and I in you. That's about Christ in you. That's about you getting sanctified and becoming more like your Savior. That's what you do for God by works. And that's not a gift. That's for the glory. That's for the glory that you want to bring your God and the glory you'll receive at the judgment seat of Christ. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I'll show you. Christ in you is the key. Colossians 1.25. Colossians 1.25 here. Colossians 1.25, all right? Colossians 1.25, the Bible says, <clears throat> Wherefore I am made a minister 
according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery of Christ in you is the hope or the promise of glory for the saint. Not salvation, but glory, rewards, blessings. That's a mystery. John 15, 8, Jesus said, bearing much fruit as a disciple will lead to glory. And Christ in you is the key. That's the key that unlocks the fruit. You in Christ, that got your fire insurance. Christ in you, that, brought, that brings God some glory. Now, what does it mean to have Christ in you? Is it just his indwelling spirit at salvation that he lives inside of me? Some people say that. Mm, not quite. You see, when God sees you in Christ, you get the gift of eternal life. You know why? Because God sees your faith. God sees what nobody else can see. I can't see your faith. I know my faith. I don't know your faith. I, I hear the profession of your lips. But God can see your faith. And when he sees your faith, he sees you standing in Christ. But when men see Christ in you, you get the reward of eternal glory. Because men can't see your faith. Men can only see your works. They can only see what you say, how you respond, how you behave. Go to Romans chapter 4. I'll show you. I got not a lot of verses left, so hurry with me. If we go a little over 12, I, I just uh, bear with me a little of my folly. All right? So we're going into overtime. Romans 4, verse 1. What shall we say then? Romans 4, 1. That Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. See that phrase, before God? For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. This is the Apostle Paul talking about salvation. Your justification by faith before God. This is what God sees. God doesn't see your religion. All that stuff we put on, the vestments, the good suit, the good works, the good deeds, the best efforts, the smiles, the handshakes. God doesn't see that. God sees the heart. Is Jesus Christ in your heart? Are you saved? Are you in Christ? Does he see you in Christ? That's before God. Nobody can see it. So to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith, God counts for righteousness. What a deal. What a deal. But go to James chapter 2. Let's go to the scary James chapter 2. Ooh. Martin Luther wanted to pull this out of his Bible because he couldn't reconcile this with what Paul said. Because Paul says over here, hey, Abraham was, was counted for righteousness by faith. And then James is going to say the opposite, it seems. Look at James chapter 2. But remember, Romans is before God. James is before men. Watch, watch. James chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> what doth it profit, my brethren? James 2, 14. Though a man say he hath faith... 
and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, right? So the context is before men. And one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? This is not Paul talking about salvation. This is James talking about service, serving your fellow man, and your justification by works is before men. Men need to see your works that they might be able to glorify your Father which is in heaven. Your works don't get you saved. They just get somebody else helped. They testify that you are saved. Do you see the difference? What, it's, a, it's a total difference. So when men look at your life, how much of Christ can they see in you? The works that you do, do they show your faith? Do they show kindness when they see you talk to your children? Do they show uh, benevolence and charity when they see you interact with each other and long-suffering when they see how you forgive one another? Show me your faith by your works. Show them, because men need to see Christ in you. Only God can see you in Christ. <laughs> I look over there, Mario. I can't see him in Christ. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 says he's sitting in heavenly places in Christ. I can't see it. You know what I can see? I can just see him sitting in that chair, paying attention, taking notes, right? I can only see what he's doing on earth. And men look around. They don't see the little halo, guys. They don't see the halo above your head. Just, that person must be a Christian. Just look at that glow. No, they can't see it. You know what they see? They see the way you talk. They see the way you act. They want to see your works to show them Christ in you. Brethren, somebody said one time, is the face that I see in the mirror the one I want others to see? Do I show in the way that I walk in my life the love that you've given to me? My heart's desire is to be like you in all that I do, all I am. And the chorus of this song goes, do they see Jesus in me? Do they recognize your face? Do I communicate your love and your grace? Do I reflect who you are in the way I choose to be? Do they see Jesus in me? That's a tough question. That's Christ in you. In the king of pop, Michael Jackson. Hee hee. Right, the king of pop, right? That got you to laugh. Right, was born on August 29th, 1958 to Catherine and Joe Jackson. And if you ever watched any videos of little Michael Jackson singing with his brothers, you know, come on, come on, come on, let me tell you what it's all about, you know. You know, little kids singing, you know. He looked like his dad, he looked like his mom. But my goodness, Michael Jackson by the time he died, had done so many things to himself, operations, chemical peels, hyperbaric chambers, Macaulay Culkin, like all these things happened, right? He did all these things to himself. He looked nothing like his father anymore. 
I looked at the pictures. He looked nothing like his father, Joe Jackson, by the time he died. He looked like, I don't know what he looked like. He looked strange. He like 75 nose jobs. His face was peeled off. He peeled it again. You know, he just looked like a strange individual. Didn't resemble his father at all. Joe Jackson might have been his father by birth, but you couldn't see Joe Jackson and Michael anymore after all the things he'd done to himself. And brethren, if you're saved, relax. God is your father. But have you done so much to yourself that people can't see Christ in you anymore? They just don't see your father in you anymore. You've done so many things to yourself. You've put you through. You know what sin does? It just, it just ages you. It changes you. It, it wears you. It just it puts wrinkles where they maybe shouldn't be. You know, just sin will just wear you down. It'll change the way you look to the world. So they look at you and they don't see a child of the king anymore. They see somebody that's a far removed from the father they profess. You look at John 15. Can you go back to John for a second? John 15, <clears throat> look at verse three. <coughs> John 15, three. He says, now you are clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Isn't that a blessing? You're clean right now. The word of God made you clean. That is the seed that went into the ground and the soil of your heart. First Peter says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. That book showed you how to be saved. You believed it. And that word washed your sins away. The word of God on the cross washed your sins away. And guess what? When you believe what the word did, that message of the gospel washes your sins away. Now, he says, ye are, present tense, clean. But if you never cultivate that seed, you never do anything with that seed, you're never going to see much fruit. Don't ask Matt Califano, he'll tell you. Don't do anything. Don't water it. Don't fertilize it. Don't do anything with it. You're not going to see a lot of fruit out of that garden. You're not going to see that fig tree this year. You're not going to see a lot of fruit if you don't take care of it. You doing anything with the seed? Oh, you're clean. Hallelujah. You're saved if you believe Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins. Amen. You're saved, even though I feel like I'm talking to myself right now. You're, you're as quiet as a turkey from on Thanksgiving. You're, you're freaking me out. I'm just letting you know. You are freaking me out. You're sitting there just like, the whole message, you're just like, all right? But I'm going to work through it because I teach high school. I can, make, I can make it through. But you're saved. Hallelujah. You're saved. Amen. But you're doing anything with the seed? The Bible says, break up your fallow ground. You're doing anything to turn the soil over so you don't get hard? Right? The Bible says, he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, bringing his sheaves with him. Listen, you're watering those seeds with any tears, any desire, any zeal. You don't do anything with the seed, nothing happens. You see, chap, verse 7 is the key of the whole thing. Verse 7 is the key of the whole thing. John 15, 7. Here's the key to bearing much fruit. Here's the key to Christ in you. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Here is the key to bearing much fruit for God. Part one, you got to abide in Christ. That's what he says. If ye abide in me, that's one. And my words abide in you, that's two. 
You got to abide in Christ. That's how you get saved first. And God's words have to abide in you. You got to be full of this book. And that's how people see Christ in you. You can't just call them down. Yes, Jesus, I just want... No, you put that book in you and it'll start to shine forth. It'll start to come out. Others will see it. That's how others will see Christ in you when your mind and your heart are full of the word. You won't, be able, you won't have to do anything. You won't have to conjure it up. You just spend time in that book and that book will just reflect in your face. Like Moses spending time on the mountain with God, he came down and he was glowing. He was glistening. He, his face shined like gold. He didn't do it. He wasn't up there, you know, you know patting on the, the gold makeup. He's just in the presence of his God. He's getting words from God. He comes down. They're like, whoa, there's something. we see something different in you. And folks, you spend time and you look into that face. Guess what? You're going to be different to the people around you. They're going to see the difference in you and you're not going to have to work it up, conjure it up, or do something to make it happen. It's just going to be the natural byproduct. That's how disciples bear much fruit. You got the seed in there, but you got to fertilize the soil of your heart. You got to put some stuff in there to help that seed grow. If you really want the seed to grow and bear fruit, you use fertilizer to enrich the soil. Colossians 3.16, we got two verses left. Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16, the Bible says, let, you're there with me? Watch all your 3.16s in the Bible. Colossians 3.16. The Bible says, let, that means you got the power to do this. Okay? You could all do this. Don't give me me your excuses. Well, I can't do that, Pappy, because, up. It says, let it happen. means you can let it happen. I'm too busy. Yes, you are. De-busy yourself. The trumpet will very much de-busy you. Trust me. Your calendar will empty out once the trumpet sounds. All of your plans will be gone when the trumpet sounds. So untangle a little bit. If you need to make time for God, untangle. You say, but you don't know. Tell me about it, would you? Just tell me about it. Tell me how busy you are. I can't wait to hear it. Right? Tell me how busy you are working and doing all the stuff you're doing. I have no idea what that's like. Just tell me about it. I don't know what it's like to be busy. I've never experienced it. Just tell me when it happens one time. I hear all these people tell me I'm too busy. I can't experience it. Being me a little sarcastic there, but you'll be, you'll be deep busy. Don't worry. So he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He's saying, guys, if you really want God's seed to bear much fruit, you got to let this word dwell in you. You got to let this word abide in you. You got to do it richly. Make that soil rich. Make it healthy. Make it full of the nutrients of this book. Why? So the seed God planted in there can bear much fruit. Can bear much fruit. Listen, if Sunday is the only day you open your Bible, I'm going to prophesy. Don't expect to see much fruit in your life. I don't, I'm not being mean. I'm just being dead honest. I don't want to give you false hope. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're flipping the pages. I'm glad you're singing the songs of Zion. But if you're not opening that Bible every day, just forget about much fruit. It's not going to happen. But you say every day, every day. You eat every day. 
Some of us who are Italian eat 10 times a day. But you better, you, you have to read every day. No feed, no read, folks. <laughs> no feed, no read, no feed. You don't read that book, you shouldn't feed your face. If you don't feed your soul. Look what it says there. Richly. Can I tell you this to all the kids in the room and the teenagers? If mom and dad's verses are your only verses, you'll never see much fruit. Just forget it. If you're riding the coattails of mom or dad and just thinking they'll get you by, you're done. You're done. You're going to get rocked. You're going to step out into that world and go up against a six-degree black belt and you're going to get rocked. <laughs> you know? I've had to do that step into the ring sometimes with a guy that could definitely kick a lot better than I am. You know what happened? I got rocked. <laughs> I got knocked out by a turning kick one time to my jaw. I couldn't eat right for the next like four weeks. You know what? You step out into that world with the devil and his angels and his armies and all the stuff they know how to do and you're going to try to make it by on no verses yourself? You're going to try to make it by on mommy and daddy's coattails? or the older youth leader's coattails, or the Sunday school teacher's coattails, guess what? He's waiting for you right there. He's going to just pop you right there and just take you out. You'll be done. You'll be a bad example in a sermon soon. You better be getting some of that book yourself, man. You ain't never going to make it. They ain't going to ever see Christ in you if you ain't getting it yourself. Listen, when water passes through an object over and over again consistently, you know what that water will do? It'll shape the object. Even if it's a rock, Water can even shape a rock. If it just consistently gets moving over it, even a hard heart like mine and a hard heart like yours, you keep letting that water pass over it, it'll shape it, it'll conform it, it'll make it like Jesus Christ. If you let this book pass through you richly, not a little dribble over here, not a little verse on Sunday, not your 9.45 a.m. push notification from the Reading You Version app. That can't be it. If that's all it is, no. But if you're richly plugging in there, listen to it on the way to work, read it when you get home from work, wake up a little earlier, read it before you go to work, whatever you got to do, you're letting it pass through you richly, guess what? You'll be shaped more and more into Jesus Christ. The water will do it, even if you got a hard heart like a rock. It'll shape you. That is the fruit the Lord wants to see. The fruit of the Spirit. The character of Christ. Seeing you become more like Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to see. That's, you know, I, I had a, I sent a text to a former student of mine. She's 32 now. She has a baby. And I coached her when, and taught her when she was 15. Her name is Leah, really sweet kid, but she's a mommy and a, and a wife now, and I'm just like, I am so old. You know, so what? And um, I sent her the video of Christian ringing the bell at Sloan. You know what she said? She said, oh, I, you know, I see, see, I see so much of you in him. You know, he looks just like you, she said. You know what that, as a father, did for me? That was a blessing to me. You know what God wants to see in you? His son. The more he sees his son in you, the more he's like, yeah, I do see some of me in there. That's, a, that's great. That's fantastic. Amen. That's the carrot. If there's anybody that wants to just bless God, that's the carrot. But I'm going to give you the stick and end the message, all right? Look at verse, go back to John 15. We'll end there. Here's the stick. Because some of you are not motivated by sweets and sugar. Some of you need heart attacks and clogged arteries to get you to change. So John 15, verse 2, he says this. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. I'll read that again. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, 
he taketh away. You know what he's saying, folks? If you're in the vine, you're in him, and you refuse to be fruitful, you may lose everything. You may lose everything. You say, what does that mean? Isaiah 64, 6 says, our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. He says, if you don't bear fruit, he may take you away. Something may take you away from where you want to be. That bad spirit, that wind that you got, that spirit that you have that doesn't want to yield, doesn't want to love, doesn't want to give, doesn't want to help, doesn't want to draw nigh, that spirit, that iniquity, that lawlessness in which you operate, it may destroy you. And I'm going to prophesy if it sobers you, okay, but that might destroy you. God wants your fruit to be a good example. He wants you to bring forth something in your life that other people can look to and say, wow, look at that. He followed God. She followed God. Look what happened. I could do that. That's what God wants. But he'll get an example out of you one way or another. You understand that? One way or another, you're going to be an example. You'll be a bad example in a sermon or a good example in somebody's life. But you're going to be an example. You could choose what kind of example you want to be. God says, I want to get something good out of you, but I could take that away and make you a bad example. He says right there, I want you to have an abundant life of joy and peace. But you know what? If you want to continue in sin and just forget about me, guess what? I could take those things away. I could take away your peace. I could take away your joy. I could take away your sanity. I could take away your victory. He did it to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar said, look what I did. God said, you're going to be like a beast for seven years. And God took the greatest man on the earth and turned him into an animal for seven years. Why? Because he refused to give God the glory. I mean, God is wonderful and gracious and long-suffering, but don't trifle with the Almighty. Don't play games with God. If you're here and you're newly saved, just get in, read your Bible, and fall in love. But if you know better, and I'm preaching to the people that know better, don't play games with God. The Lord wants to redeem your life. He wants you to redeem your life for destruction. But can I tell you this? And it's sad and it's sorry. He might take that life away if you're a fool. He might take that life away if you're a fool. You say, that's in the Bible. That's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 11 talks about people that refuse to live worthy of their calling, refuse to live worthy of their calling. And the Bible says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Some people live their life, they go home, and God crowns them. Some people, God has to crown them and then take them home because they just don't want to live right. The Bible says God actually puts some people and takes their life away because they refuse to live worthy of their calling. I'm just reading the verse. That's what it says. So Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You ain't fooling God. I mean, if the Lord let the fig tree wither away, just take heed lest he take you away in your sin. Just take heed. Do some business with God today. Check in with headquarters. Let's finish at verse 8, John 15, 8. It only takes two simple steps to bear much fruit for God. First, you need to be saved. Then, you need to be sold out for the Lord that saved you. The Lord that saved a dirtbag like you, you just got to be willing to give something back to him. And he says right there in 15, 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. You see, getting saved blessed you didn't it? Getting saved blessed you, didn't it? But getting sold out blesses the one that saved you. 
Being fruitful blesses the one that did the planting and the cultivating and the watering and the tilling. That's who you're trying to please now. So if you appreciate God's gift, I wonder, will you bear much fruit to give God the glory? That's what a disciple is supposed to do. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.